Alrighty, it's that time again to dive back into the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish up chapter 6 with the Sermon on the Mount here still going forward. And we're going to pick up at verse 25. And uh, God is going to once again remind us that we have no need to worry that he's on top of everything. And so we can have perfect peace in him. Let's pray. Father God, for this topic of worrying, we're so given. Uh, we, we worry about worrying. We're just always uh, troubled, or so it seems, by the next uh, challenge or the next loss or uh, whatever difficulty we're facing. God, we're, we're just, our faith is so fickle at times. We just need to be anchored by the power of the Holy Spirit the promises of your word to be filled with faith and not to be faithless, but to trust in God and have peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I love the quote by the French philosopher. I use it from time to time. Maybe you recall hearing it. He said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. <laughs> <laughs> And that's so true. He's really onto something there. And it's a point that Jesus is really going to drive home today that um, most of our what ifs, seldom do they ever deliver the, the destruction and the dread that they're promising. It's a colossal waste of time if God Almighty is your Father and has promised to provide for all of your needs. And then he throws this one in. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'll take everything that happens to you and concerns you. I'll use it all for good somehow in some way. I'll redeem it and make something beautiful out of something very nasty and maybe painful. And so why worry? God loves us and he wants to address that. He knows how faithless and fearful and insecure we can be. And he came to give us peace. And joy, the very antithesis of worry, the very opposite of being filled with dread and insecurity and uh, all of those things that consume us at times. He came for the very opposite reason to fill us with a, a rest in our souls. And we can have that, that kind of rest that Psalm 23 speaks about, which we read uh, this morning. And so he's going to reason with us in his first century Jewish listeners there in Galilee, the Sermon on the Mount there. He's going to try to get us to uh, understand why we need to stop wringing our hands and stop worrying in our hearts like a common atheist, just like somebody on the street who's an unbeliever who has no God in heaven who can do all things. I mean, come on. The Lord said to Sarah and Abraham, I'm the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? And so if we have the Lord as our Father, who promises to be like watching over us like a, like a shepherd to supply everything, that, so much so that we would say we lack nothing, then there really is no cause for worry whatsoever. So this morning, Jesus gives us a call to stop worrying and start trusting. Here we go, chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? He continues. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? It's so unproductive. And why do you worry about clothes? Come on, 
check out the lilies of the field. Look at how they grow. They don't labor or spin or sow. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his magnificent splendor, not even King Solomon was dressed like one of these lilies. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. That's a compliment. At least he's saying we have some faith. <laughs> That's a compliment. Verse 31. So don't worry saying, how am I going to make the payment? How am I going to solve this problem? Am I ever going to get married? Sorry. Uh, what, <laughs> what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? This was first century rural country folk stuff that millions of people today worry about. Verse 32, for the pagans, they run after all of this stuff, but your father in heaven knows that you need them. He knows it's important. He knows you want them. He knows you need them. He's going to give them to you. Verse 33, but seek his kingdom first, his will, his righteousness, and then all this stuff, all the things you need. All the things that you worry about, they'll be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble enough of its own. So there you have it, the text for our consideration. We'll get settled here and divide up our paragraphs, as you know we like to do. One of the most well-known and best-loved passages, and for good reason. We know what it feels like to be distracted and upset by all sorts of worries and watch our faith give way to fear. Worry can get the best of us when we face a new challenge and fall into some trouble or just entertain a hundred what-ifs. What if I don't get married? What if, you know, people think this way of me or the other way of me? And all of these things can just close in on you and make life not a happy event at all. You know, uh, he says here, uh, really, that worry is kind of like choking out your life. In fact, the English word, the origin of worry, actually means to strangle or to choke. And so if someone's got you by the spiritual throat and choking the life out of you, that's not what Jesus came to give. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He said, I, I have come that you might have joy. And there's no joy in being strangulated. And in fact, Jesus will emphasize that this is what worry will do. It'll make you unproductive, useless to God, and miserable, and somewhat in pain. When he, uh, fast forward to Matthew 13, when he says, even a life, a heart that has received the gospel and has new life in it, that is consumed by the everyday cares of this life and money and stuff and all of that worried. He said, that's like a young plant that's growing up in a field that's ever invaded and encroached by briars and thorns that choke the plant and make it fruitless. And so the plants can't do what the plant's supposed to be doing because it can't breathe <laughs> because it's being choked out. And God came that we wouldn't be choked out, but filled up with peace, with him, with power. And so we can't give way to this. And so for the one in the lethal grip, as we get underway here, the lethal grip of worry, there's a sense of helplessness, paralysis, and fear, and the absence of peace, and even worse, it's just useless. The Bible will call worry godless, faithless, senseless, and useless, unnecessary, and unproductive. But other than that, 
So Jesus, out of love, is going to give us some strategy to kind of break the stranglehold upon us so that we never have to feel its nasties, nasty fingers around our throat, spiritually speaking. Uh, he's going to give us these strategies, as we just read. Uh, it divides quite nicely into three points. Point number one, note takers, don't worry, trust God. Point number two, don't worry, trust God. <laughs> and point number three will be, don't worry, trust God. You're catching on. You're catching on. Jesus is, of course, the master teacher, and he's always repeating himself. And so he needs to repeat himself because we're very poor listeners. And so let's isolate that first point. Don't worry and trust God. There you have it. He just reminds us there's a therefore there. Don't worry about your life. Isn't life more important than stuff? Don't go after the stuff. There's a bigger picture here, folks. Don't, don't come to the end of your life and realize, whoops, I've got regrets because I went after the wrong priorities. He says, don't do that. Check out the birds. They're always whistling a happy tune. There might be a reason for that. And so let's talk about this before you now. Verses 25 and 26, he's saying, don't sweat the small stuff. And by the way, when God is your father, everything is small stuff. He is the Lord and nothing is too difficult for him. Now let's get something clear from the start because the Bible uses the same Greek word for worry that's unhealthy for concern that is healthy and right and normal. We should be concerned, but never worried. Now you may be thinking, what's the difference? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because I've got a, I got a chart. <laughs> and this comes from a missionary to Ukraine, wrote a book, Killing Our Worries Before They Kill Us. Uh, his name is Caleb Suko, and it's a good book. And here's how he says, uh, let's take a look at uh, healthy concerns versus unhealthy worry. He says, number one, when you have a concern, which, by the way, here are three places where the same word, worry, translated here in the, the negative, is translated concern is in a positive way. In 1 Corinthians 7, the attention and care for a spouse. You should be concerned. And secondly, the focus of serving the Lord. The word is to care or to be concerned for the things of God. You should have that concern. And thirdly, love and concern for members of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25, same word that's translated worry is translated in a positive way in concern. Now, here's the difference. Concerns are focused on others and God. Worries focused on me, myself, and I. Woe is me, pity, party, worry. Concern motivates you to do something, to serve God, right? Because there's a concern. But when you're worried, oh, you're isolated, it keeps you from serving. Concern promotes constructive action, like I said, to do something. But when you're worried, you're kind of paralyzed, right? And so uh, when you have a godly concern that's natural, it's welcomed by others. Hey, I got a concern. Let's pray about it. But nobody wants to hear the, the, the pity party stories of your what ifs, right? There's a difference. And so he goes on to say, concern is driven by love while worry is driven by fear, and, and concern has a goal to help, right? To make something better. Worry doesn't have a goal. It just goes around and around. It's senseless. Oh, no. And even when you say, oh, no, here's the remedy for that thing. Oh, no, it doesn't listen. It just <laughs> keeps going around and around. There's no end. It's the endless, eternal merry-go-round. Uh, concerns strengthen relationships because you're supposed to be concerned and attentive and things are important. But when you're worried, it's insecurity, it's fear, it always weakens relationships. And then concern is grounded in faith. Because of your faith, you have the concern. And the, first, the faith is guided by your faith. And, and then uh, the concern, I should say, and the worry 
That disregards faith whatsoever. It says, you know what, where he says, God, it's as if you're not here, you're not powerful enough, you can't handle this, you're not listening to me, you don't even know about this, you're not going to do anything about it because you don't love me, you don't care, you can't, you're not powerful enough. You're not on the throne, you're not even around. That's why I'm panicking. Faith and worry are incompatible. And finally, concerns can coexist with peace. Every godly concern that you have, you're you're held by by the peace of God that passes understanding because it's a godly concern that you are, yes, I'm concerned, but I'm trusting. And even if the what if comes to pass, God said, he will never leave me or forsake me. He'll walk me through death itself. And so, but worry, (laughs) you can never have peace with worry. So the disciples are worried they're going to sink. They don't have any faith. They don't have any peace. Because even though Jesus is present among them, (laughs) they think he doesn't care. Lord, don't you care that we're drowning? That's what we say. Uh, we don't have to say it, but that's when you're panicked and wrapped up and obsessing and fearful and giving way to worry. That's what you're truly saying. You don't care. You can't fix this. Woe is me. Thank you for those slides. We can go back to the text here. And so Jesus is going to say, therefore, the therefore is there because he's linking the previous statement of you can't serve God in money. You can't store up for yourselves treasures on earth and treasures on, in heaven. You're going to have to choose. You can't, you, which is it? Do you, is God your God or is money your God? So then he says, therefore, since you're all saying, no, Lord, God is our Lord, If God is your master, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. If you're saying, no, God is in charge of me. God bought me. God owns me. God's my father. God's taking care of every detail of my life. Therefore, he says, I tell you then, what are you worried about stuff? What are you worried about your basic necessities? Don't you have a God? You just said, well, you're not serving the stuff. You're serving God. So isn't it logical? That's why he says, therefore, and the word can mean don't be distracted, don't be duped, don't show inordinate concern, don't get choked out by the necessities of life. And here's a repeated refrain. He says, let me give you reasons. Here's the thing with God. He'll tell you don't worry, and then he'll give you 10 reasons not to worry. Oh, but the world will just say, don't worry, be happy. Right? That song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. I Googled it for the lyrics. And I just wanted to see, is he going to mention in the whole song one reason why I shouldn't be worried but be happy? And of course there isn't. He says, oh, don't worry, be happy. Oh, you, you ain't got your money to... Uh, and he says, ain't. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you ain't got no money to pay your rent. Don't worry, be happy. You ain't got a bed to lay your head. Don't worry, be happy. Why? Why should I be happy and not worried when I'm going to sleep in the gutter? That's the world. It's just, just, just go and get high and forget about it. Sorry, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> That's what he's saying, okay? But what does Jesus says? He says, don't worry because you have a father who is God. Who loves you? Who counts the insignificant things about you? He's so crazy about you. He he knows the changing number of follicles on your head. Who cares about that, right? He says, no, your father is so obsessed with you and every little thing about you that he could tell you today. 10,433. Well, hold on. (laughs) 10,432. So, guys... So he's saying, here's what he's implying. If God is crazy in love with you and knows dumb stuff about you, how much more is he going to take care of you? So he gives you 
reason upon reason and logic upon logic and illustration upon illustration so that every time you look at a bird for the rest of your life and every time you see a pretty flower, you're forced to think, hey, God, you did pretty good with an insignificant little valued sparrow. How much more me? How much more me? And this is the fight. This is the fight for peace that we all have to do that. So he'll ask now the rhetorical question, isn't life so much more than the proverbial rat race to focus on your car, your house, your food, your bills, your toys, your appearance, what people think of you? Isn't, this is key, his question, isn't life more important are you actually going to go after the dumb stuff and live for the wrong reasons and get to your deathbed with regrets and say, I aimed my entire life at surviving? He says, is that why I put humans here? Is that why I breathed into your nostrils the breath of eternal spirit? And I created a world and a kingdom so that you could chase after things to survive? Oh, life is so much bigger. Live for the bigger. Live for the purpose. And let the things and the stuff that you need be subservient to the higher purpose of your life. Then you won't have worries because you'll be focused on the right thing. It was Greg Mallory, a British mountain climber, who first made it up to Mount Everest in the 20s, right? He says this, we don't live to eat and make money, we eat and make money to enjoy life. Now we would add to that, we eat and we make money to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Amen. Amen. And so, yes, indeed, Jesus is asking a good question, why are you here? What's more important than the stuff. <clears throat> and here it is. Are you working to pay off your credit cards because you love stuff so much? Are you living for status or brand names, bigger and better, nicer and nicer, thinner and thinner? Not God's definition of life lived well, clawing and scraping, scratching, and clinging, and grasping, and running after. Is that what your life is about? Or is it the more important things <clears throat> of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving others, and doing good deeds, and helping people escape eternal damnation? How about your neighbors? How about your friends, your relatives? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God abides on them. But if you're wrapped up in all of your cares, you only have so much reservoir space, and to fill all of that ram, as it were, with your daily worries, your daily cares, you've got no room to even feel for your neighbors. You're missing out on the, on the whole point of raising your kids with the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, the, the instruction and the love of God. To raise kids to love the unseen things and not fall for the temporal, worldly things. To edify people, to comfort the downcast, to be a blessing, to, to, to do something for Christ in this life. Isn't life more than running after stuff and money? He says, live for that and your worries will be few. And so he gets to the birds. He says, take a look at them. They always seem pretty happy. They've got small brains, but they're smarter than a lot of humans. <laughs> they have no worries. Why? Because they're unemployed. All right? <laughs> They're unemployed. They don't have to go to work. Every last one of the birds that you've ever seen in your life, they're jobless. All right? But it doesn't mean they're idle. And it doesn't mean they're not busy because there's nothing busier than a sparrow. He's always pecking and picking away. But God blesses 
that and make sure that they all have full tummies at the end of the day and that they have a nice little cozy nest to fly home to at the end of the day. This is his point. They don't punch punch a time clock. They don't have a checkings or savings. They don't have an IRA. (laughs) They don't have any of that. They don't fill out W-2s, nothing. You know what? And they just chirp and they're happy, and they're carefree. And Jesus says, I want you to know why. Because God feeds them and takes care of them. Now, I don't know about you. I I really like birds. I like watching birds. I used to have an aviary where we used to live. One day, I've shared this before, just really God spoke to me. And I I had a... uh, a bag of bird seed that I took out from the shed. I was crossing the lawn to the aviary to feed the finches, right? And I, I had a spill. And, and it was a significant spill. But you couldn't see it with the human eye. It was not down beneath the grass, right? But I had a spill there, and I went on, fed the birds. The next day, I'm staring out the window, and I see birds hovering like crazy over the middle of the lawn. And there are sparrows dive bombing and all kinds of action. And I'm just amazed. And I'm like, I wonder what's over there. I wonder what's going on. I went, ah! And then I'm thinking, how did they know? Because you don't see sparrows like spying, you know? <laughs> yeah. you know? I know they don't smell good. I mean, they don't have fragrant detectors, right? They have a, I, they must breathe, right? But... <laughs> They don't have a good sense of smell is what I'm trying to say. Were they running patterns and flying all over the place? And no, I felt like the Lord said to me as I'm looking at them and just wondering, I felt like the Lord said, I tell them. I feed them. I said to them, spill on aisle three. (laughs) And gave them your address and pointed it out. How else would they know? I mean, how else really would they know? How do they know when your bird feeder's all fed? Fed, filled up, I should say, and then it's time for them to be fed. Wow. I mean, it's just crazy. And the Bible says, I've got a picture of this here. He opens his hand and he satisfies the longing of every living thing. And so the argument here is from lesser to greater. If God cares about the lesser value, the sparrow, how much more Jesus just wants to reason with you? Wouldn't it make logical sense for God to care even more about you because you're so much more valuable than something he already takes pretty good care of? And so that's really his point there. He, he ends with a quiz question. What's more important to God, the sparrow or you? Well, then stop acting like you don't believe that. Because <laughs> you'll, you'll say it. Well, of course I'm more important. But he says, I want to see it when you're facing your struggle. All right, so let's move on to the flowers. He says, uh, not only is it needless worry, he says, it's a waste of time. It's so unproductive. So he says, you can't add a single hour to your life, verse 27. And then he starts talking about clothes with another illustration that's right in front of these people because they're outdoors. So he points to all the uh, beautiful flowers and he points to the birds and he says, take a look at God's creation. He's doing a pretty good job with the lower order of nature. How much more with that which is very valuable, that which he would lay down his life and shed his blood for. He didn't die for the sparrows or the lilies, but he did die for you. So Paul will reverse the greater, lesser to greater argument and go greater to lesser in Romans chapter 8 and say, if God didn't spare his own son, the one and only beloved son of God, but gave him up for you. That shows how valuable you are, that his love for his own son didn't hinder him from giving him up for you. Therefore, you are of equal worth to him as Christ, his only son, or higher. It must be the case. 
So wouldn't he, if he gave, son, gave his son for you, the greater, wouldn't he give you everything else you need, the lesser? That's another hit to say, can we just figure this out? God gave you the big, don't you think he'll give you the little? And God provides for the little, don't you think he'll provide for you who are more valuable? And so let's dive in here a little bit more. He says, by the way, where is the colossal waste of time? Think about all the hours you've invested in being upset. Wasted, wasted. You could have been praying. What if you prayed for every hour or minute that you've worried? Your whole life would be transformed. Not to mention other people's lives because your worry sometimes involves situations and people. So if you would have prayed instead of worried about it, you would have been productive. So he says, no, you're investing in acid reflux. You're investing in emotional angst. You're, how about all those lost hours of sleep? All right? And you know what you get? Nothing but heartburn, high blood pressure, and ulcers, sweaty palms, and digestive issues. That's yours. He said, which of you can add a single hour to your life? You can't lengthen your life, but you can shorten your life by worry, and you will. There are people who have died because of their stress loads. Their unnecessary stress loads at that. And so he goes on, he's really saying, and by the way, some of the translations go, you can't add a single hour to your life or you can't add a single inch to your height because the Greek can go both ways. It's an idiom. All right? And so really it's a most desirable thing for most people to live a little longer or be a little taller. But he says... You know what? Even Jesus says, but even in your anxiety, if you put it on 10 and left it running for a year, at the end of the year, you would wake up and still be short <laughs> and you would still die at the appointed time. He just, he's making a point. It's pointless. Why are you doing it? Unnecessary and pointless. It's futile. So, yeah, I, I, I learned a lesson about this futility back in the day 20 years ago. Most of you know Hodgkin's lymphoma story, right? I had a doctor look at me in the face and say to me at UCSF, after failing the traditional chemotherapy and radiation, I failed it. And he said, you have a year to live if we can't stop this. I had some concerns. <laughs> and they drifted every day into unhealthy worries. And I had so many what ifs. I had what ifs for my what ifs. All right. I mean, it was terrible. I had imagined everything dying this long, painful death. I imagined who would remarry my wife. I imagined how tall and handsome he would be and how much hair on his head. You know, and then how he would be abusive to my children. Oh, the devil didn't leave anything out. Oh. Five years after that, when the doctor was saying, you're cancer-free, buddy. You're kind of cancer. Once it passes five years, you're done. This is 20 years ago. But at the five-year mark, I had a memory of doing some sobbing into a pillow. And my kids were all around me. They were 8, 10, and 12. Oh, and I was doing the what if. And the Lord said, every tear you cried, precious, but unnecessary. Every self-inflicted pain, needless. Look, the what ifs didn't prevail. And what if they had? Then I have even... Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I do not worry. Because why? Because the most high God is with me. Your presence comforts me. And so, yeah, when we're more than conquerors, we're not given to worry because more than conquerors are warriors who are overcoming their fear with faith with just simple faith of the simple things. God is my father. He's watching over me. That's not very profound. But if that's true, 
then I can't have one worry. I can't have one unhealthy worry because then I don't believe what I just told you. Am I telling you? My soul is hidden in Christ and Christ is God. Well, then, then, yes, I have concerns, but they're upheld by my faith and they're compatible with peace. So he says, check out the lilies, the clothes on those flowers. He said, isn't that crazy? You know, a lot of us don't worry about clothes, right? But, you know, I've been to places, and you have too, uh, to India several times, to Rwanda, where hut after hut, shanty after shanty, I've seen this with my own eyes, and so have you. Nothing inside the huts, nothing. They're all gathered around, they're laughing, and they're making the flour, they're pounding the flour out for their next meal. There's no pantry. There's maybe two sacks of something. There's a burner in some of the homes. I remember a bench and a table. I don't remember beds. They show me around. Mud hut floors. This is millions of people live this way. And that's why Jesus talks about clothing because a lot of people, millions of people have one set. Millions. And they're wondering. So people take that to heart. I mean, we, we, we think of other things when, well, I mean, you could fill it in. Why are you worried about rent? Look at the foxes. They have dens. You know, so adapt it for your worries. But I'll tell you what about these people with less stuff. They have more joy and fewer worries. With less stuff. How is that possible? The guy says, okay, it's time to open the word of God. And they all start dancing around and singing and going back and forth. But it's real because they live for what's real. And then you've got Western uh, American culture. And, and we have too much. And we have so much. And, 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 and so little peace. And so little joy. And with all of our stuff, we have all of our worries. Live for what's right and real, and your worries will dissipate. Jesus promises. So he says, learn carefully where it says, see how the lilies grow? That Greek word is to learn carefully from the flowers in the field, how they go about life. I like the mountain scene there with the meadow, Spencer. He said, listen, those guys are even less valuable than the birds. They do less They do less work. They just grow up. And guess what? God says, I want to make you beautiful. And if God wants to lavish and adorn grass and and flowers and wildflowers and lilies, he just wants to say, you know what? I want to make you smell good. I want to make you look good. I want people to look at you and go, wow. If that's the case with invaluable stuff that they used to start their fires with, to kindling. He says, if God would take the time to make them even so beautiful and clothe them, and one writer said, don't you think for a second that Jesus is not including or alluding to the way he clothes his children in robes of righteousness. And the robes that when we get to heaven and the kinds of apparel that we'll be wearing, he says, they are gleaming with the glory of God, the moral purity of Christ. There's going to be pizzazz, right? And he's just saying, listen, if I do it for the, the plant life, if I do it for the birds, I'm taking care of you. I've got your address. I know your secrets in your heart, your longings, your desires, your what ifs, your, your fears. Give them all to me. Let me handle them every morning. Get on your knees and lift them to me and I'll take them all from you and I'll give you rest and then you can be free to be about your father's business. So now you've got the space to think about the co-worker who's lost and now you're actually thinking, God, give me, give me a, an opening, just give me a window and at lunch break, sure enough, it comes up because you're ready, you're open, you're doing your father's business, you're not thinking about, oh, the payment, oh, the car, oh, me, myself, and I. No, you're thinking about the father and the father's thinking about his soul or the quality of your marriage or the environment of your home 
or the well-being of your church. These are his interests and his kingdom. But when we're wrapped up in the worries of self-indulgence and cares that all revolve around our, our own little world and not his world, then we're missing out. And he doesn't want us to miss out. He says those uh, flowers do very little work, but God is so faithful. And then he comes to the root of the problem there, Spencer, back to the verses. He says, oh, you of little faith. And so he said, okay, you don't have zero, but you don't have an awful lot in the account right now, right? And that's the, his counseling hat is on, and he is the wonderful counselor. And he said, you want to know the problem is that you, you, you just don't believe me. You don't believe. Let's just be real. You don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the promises. You don't believe I'll come through. You don't believe I'm listening. You don't think I can do anything about it. You don't think you'll get through it. That's the only reason why you're worrying. There's no other reason except your faith is woo down to nothing. So I guess if we increase our faith and we actually start to believe the promises that, that are coming out of the Son of God's mouth, that that alone shall bring assurance for sure. Let's finish up here. I mean, sometimes I use a little too much white out. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes. Okay, it's time for the third point here. So he's going to sum it up and close out chapter 6 with this. You know, So why are you going to worry and say, how am I going to pay my rent? You know, Am I ever going to get married? Am I ever not going to be married? Am I ever whatever? What, uh, <laughs> what shall I wear? What shall I drive? And am I ever going to lose weight? And all of that. Uh, for the pagans run after all of these things. They're the ones with uh, appearance, obsession, and the, and the reputation and trying to look good and all of that. Your heavenly father knows what you need. Don't worry, all right? Put him first. Put his will, what, what, what God's interested in, make that your first and your, your, your foremost effort. And he says, I promise you, Jesus speaking, I promise you the basics have come. Now, he doesn't mean to be indolent, lazy, presumptuous, I just say, okay, I'm just going to go around and preach the gospel and God's going to provide. No, he, no, it doesn't work that way. He says, I want you to work hard. Be like the sparrow. Peck here, peck here all day long. Pecking, pecking, looking, poking, and trying to eke out your living. Yeah, that's right. But there's a world of difference between working for yourself to get the stuff and working to serve God so that you can use your money and stuff to bless his purposes. You see? You're not going after the stuff for the sake of the stuff and the money. You're going after the stuff because it, you need God to bless you. And in faith, you're doing it so that you have plenty to share, plenty to provide, plenty to do the will of God. And so he has it here. Third point, don't worry. Trust God. Consider the kingdom. And so that's what he's saying. So he's saying, stop saying, what shall we you know, now what are we going to do now? Oh, now how are we ever going to get through this? Or it just got laid off. You know, what's the answer to all the questions? What, what, what's the answer to every single question or, or ping that anybody has in this room? What's the answer? I mean, just honestly. I mean, Romans 8 says, here's the list, folks. Death, life, angels, demons, things present, things to come. Uh, height, depth, um, famine, nakedness, poverty, danger, sword, or guns, gunshots. He says, no, in all of these things. So whatever it is, it comes under the authority, the power, the purposes of God. So therefore, the answer always is, I can seek God's kingdom, take care of my responsibilities. He'll bless that. And then everything I need for life and enjoyment, quoting the scriptures, everything you need for life and enjoyment will be given you. Delight yourself in the Lord. You see that first, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
You see, priorities matter to God. He says, seek my kingdom first. And you know, the Lord and Jesus at 12 years old figured that out. Remember when Mary and Joseph misplaced the Messiah? They lost Jesus in Jerusalem. Mary thought he was with Joseph. Joseph thought he was with Mary. They got in the caravans. The guys traveled with the guys. The gals traveled with the gals. And they took off. And three days later at the rest stop, Joseph says to Mary, hey, where's, where's Jesus? I haven't seen him around. <laughs> and she goes, shut up. <laughs> He's with you. Stop kidding around. And Joseph gets that look like, oh. What? No, wait, three days? Three days? <laughs> We've lost Jesus. So <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to lose your sunglasses, folks. It's another thing to <laughs> misplace God's Messiah. And so they go back. But, you know, uh, they look all over the place. Where would you look? You know, go to look at the mall to see if he's hanging out with his friends. You know, no. They go. That was funny, by the way. And <laughs> there, I made you laugh anyway. So, um. So he's, Jesus is surprised when they finally, the last place they think, well, we've looked everywhere else. Let's try church. <laughs> Let's try the church. Maybe he's in there. You know, so they go in and Jesus is like, what? And they're like, why have you treated us this way? Like we've looked all over, everywhere for you. And it's like, what was the problem? Didn't it? Couldn't you understand I had to be about my father's business? It was Passover. He's 12. He's a bar mitzvah young man. He knows he's the Passover lamb. So he's enthralled there at the temple. But it's just that my, my point is, really, that, that Jesus knew at 12, the goal in this life is not mommy and daddy. It's not all the things that are important. There's something more important. The highest value. The reason we exist. You've got to nail that first. And then all the stuff will flow to be about our father's business. Now nothing in this world says that you have no need to worry. Like one thing alone. Even though God gave us several right there. But the cross. The cross which we'll look at now worship team is going to come up. We're going to get settled in and we're going to go into communion in this beautiful passage. He ends up with a conclusion that says, you know what, folks, just live in today. Do your part. Trust God with today and leave tomorrow's worries in tomorrow because the same God is taking care of you today. is going to take care of you tomorrow. So why borrow any trouble from tomorrow when it's not even here yet? Just work on today and trust God for today. He's not saying don't plan and don't look in the future. He's just saying don't let the future be a cause of apprehension and worry. Because the cross says this. All your past sins and mistakes and calamities, they can't get to you. There's some consequences sometimes, but they can't hurt you. The present things you're struggling with, covered. The future things of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, done by the resurrection of Christ. He's already seated us in heavenly places. God said in his time, the way God sees time, he's already got us in heaven. And now he's asking us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, just to work it out, walk it out. He says, the cross is what is your anchor for no more worrying, but just trusting God. One last thing I want to say. Don't go at this by trying to get rid of your worry. Fill. Don't just stop worrying, but fill with prayer. So you know that scripture. We could read it really fast. I've got it, Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But don't stop there because you'll leave a vacuum. Instead of worrying every situation, take every worry to God in prayer. Petition means ask God. 
thanksgiving. Be grateful for how he is working in your life. Present the request. Invite God into the situation. And the peace of God, there it is, instead of the fear of the world and the fear of loss, which passes all understanding, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And then he says, would you pay attention to what's going on between your ears? And whatever things are true, God's going to take care of me. God's got this. God's got a way to work this out for good. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things and live out your Christian life with integrity and the God of peace will be with you. The problem is passive, immature Christianity is where you just let every prompt and every fear and every little feeling have its way instead of saying, hey, 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 wait a second. Let's come under the truth of the word of God. So after all of this, I walk in the house last night and I've been in this for a week. I walk in the house, Barb said something, and I went, oh, what if? And I go, I said, the what if? And then she goes, well, I guess if that happens, God is big enough to handle that. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, man. Listen. Take the what if. Lift it to God. And get rid of it by prayer. And every prompt, and if it's of the devil, let me assure you, the devil will stop prompting you if every time he prompts you, you pray. All right, that's a clear signal to him. Whoops, I'm going to try something else. Because <laughs> this isn't working. That'll be the answer. Don't just cut it out. Stop it and fill with something new called prayer. Amen? God, we look to you. This is so hard. We are worriers. We are insecure and so vulnerable and fragile in this life and fearful because mostly we don't spend enough time with you or in your word and we do have little faith. So increase our faith. Help us to be on our knees more and have our eyes glued on you and your good purposes to live first, to seek your kingdom above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.